What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 88, everybody, which of course means you can find show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL88. And today I've got a uh, very special guest. He was on Mark's podcast, our flagship show, uh, God, it, ages ago, years ago. But I have been itching to get him back on and do, have do my podcast. And is uh, a man I hope you know and I hope you love or will love very soon after hearing his melodious New Zealand tones on this show. It is Fergus Hodgson, uh, much famed for his work with the Antigua Report. Uh, he also writes for the Epoch Times. And one other that I'm forgetting the name of. <laughs> oh, Gold Newsletter. Gold Newsletter, mate. That's there you go. Sorry. There you go. So there, there he is. That's, there's Fergus. Welcome to the show, man. Mate, it's, it's an honor. And as you, can, as you know, I'm seriously, I, I love your show, mate. I'm oh, listening every you. week. And I do listen to the other, what is it, Lines of Liberty podcast, but Electric Liberty Land is definitely number one. It's the, it's the people's show, you know? I mean, where else can you go and listen to a man uh, drunkenly ramble on about things I, you know was, someone about? Look, mate, I was thinking about it today. Uh, you know, why do I like this show? It's because in life, I mean, I, we already really express ourselves a lot. Right. But on this show, we just let it all hang out. You know, yeah, you know this is, you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the um, not being able to provide lunches to your staff in San Francisco. I think you just oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was going, this is the most retarded thing ever. You know, and so, so when you would talk about that, I just thought, oh, so I'm glad you are addressing these things because someone has got to say it. Oh, yeah, completely. Well, it's like you just hope that's where you hope it'll. It's, well, the show, I try to make it funny so people can pass it along and hopefully it'll be entertaining, even if it's not people that are libertarians listening to it. So they're kind of like, oh, OK, right. yeah, you know, I can I can listen to this show because it's funny, because it's just a guy kind of, you know, shooting, shooting his opinion out there uh, uncensored. Yes, and, and I suspect that many other people relate, but they just can't, they don't feel like they're um, in polite society. They cannot right. speak their minds. Of course not. You'll be pilloried by the left. So, so uh, you are in Guatemala. For those who don't know, Fergus is based in Guatemala. And are you in Guatemala, Guatemala City? Yeah, I'm in Guatemala City. It's the okay. capital. It's actually, this place is, it's a cr- crazy country. I mean, there's a heck of a lot to say about it, but it has a lots, of, lots of earthquakes. So I've been here about a year and I don't know, maybe 10 earthquakes. It's crazy. Jeez, really? And, yeah, yeah. And so... Just little guys or like big big Quakers? Some of them are decent. Seriously. The, the buildings are not so tall here. And that's because historically no one wanted to build tall buildings because they would topple. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> and I, so I, I'd been here about a week and there was, I was shaking in my bed. And then, <laughs> that, you know, a few months later, there was one where we were in, the, um, in a car. We we're going, what the heck is going on? <laughs> And we're like, this is like, we thought the car was having some problems, yeah. but then we looked, we saw the lights in the houses shaking. <laughs> I just oh, thought, I mentioned that bumper sticker, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> this van's a rocking, don't come a knocking. But in Guatemala, it's, if this van's a rocking, please call help. We are in yeah. dire danger. <laughs> well, and then we had a, we had, so there's a lot of volcanic activity, earthquakes, and we had a huge volcano uh, just, I don't know, a couple months ago. Mm. I lose track, but the original capital of the city was Antigua. But then there was such a devastating earthquake. For some reason, they moved it to here. I guess they assumed mm. this place was slightly more stable. And that's been the way it is. And so Antigua, the original capital, is about 40 minutes out of town. And, yeah, this, but the thing, the thing about Guatemala is that it's just such a um, – once, once you get out of these two main cities or the few tourist spots, it's just really third world. It's a different yeah. age. Yeah, I have a client that's based in Guatemala. So, well, he has. So, basically, I work with a uh, nonprofit in my public relations uh, career called mm. Yahad and Unum, and they actually established the first Holocaust museum in Guatemala City. 
called the wow. Museum de Holocausto. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that one, but uh, no, yeah. No, it's, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. They're working with local government uh, for like educational purposes, stuff like that. Because I guess a lot of people that are in Guatemala and a lot of people in Latin America in general just don't know much about the Holocaust, surprisingly. Pro- probably not. not really taught that much, yeah. so There are, there are Jews here, but... Mm-hmm. They, I guess they keep to themselves. I mean, they're not very prominent in society. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but that's what he was saying is, you know, he goes, yeah, once you get out of the city, it's, I mean, it's, it can be incredibly dangerous too. So uh, but, but wait, before we move on there, I yeah, want to find yeah. out how you ended up in Guatemala in the first place. Cause you mentioned yeah. uh, this libertarian university in Guatemala. Oh, um, you know, this, this is uh man, this is, un, I don't know. This is an uncensored show. And I'm oh, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spoken about this. <laughs> publicly how what happened here in guatemala i've told lots of people about it but this is electric liberty land so i guess this is this going to be fucking your way to the top of the university (laughs) is that where it's going this is well there no not me personally but anyway so (laughs) you look mate i'll be i've been since about 2010 well in 2010 early i took my first trip to latin america i went to colombia ecuador peru chile and it just changed my life of course i'm from new zealand so i have that's you know a world apart from Latin America and Americans are more accustomed to Latin America because obviously somebody already live up there or have mm-hmm. moved up there. And so it just changed my life. And since then I've been back countless times and it's not been a, uh, a road paved with, I don't know, what, you know, it's not, it's not been a, a, such a lovely trip all the time. I've had lots of bad yeah. experiences and good experiences, but lots of good friends here. And the layers of kind of sugar coating have just come off. Mm. pretty intensely for me. Yeah. So I think I should write the politically incorrect guide to Latin America. Like <laughs> totally, man. I can, uh, man, I can lay waste sometimes. But anyway, so I didn't think I'd ever come back actually after Argentina because Argentina is such a screw up. I'm not sure if anyone has been there, mm. you know, but uh, Argentina has just really profound problems. And so I lived there for a year and it just changed my view of Latin America a lot because I um, I just saw things were so disorganized, you know, that the ATMs will run out of cash. There'll be no cash in town. Uh, the gas, gas, the, the gas stations won't have gas. Just, things were just not functioning. And I was going, what the heck, you know, what's going on here? And I had some bad experiences, so I didn't plan to come back. But I was looking to do uh, master's degrees or a master's degree in finance. And there is a libertarian university here in Guatemala. It's famous among the classical liberal or libertarian or capitalist community, whatever you want to call us. And it, it was founded by a just a, an ardent free market economics guru or guy who just loved it from Guatemala called uh, Universidad Francisco Marroquin and, or Francisco Marroquin University. And no one's really known of it. No, no one knows of it outside of the libertarian community, really but they offer this, what's called a double titulation where you, where you get two degrees uh, at the same time. So one from here and one from Tulane actually. So it's, it's oh, a pretty okay. credible US right, American yeah. university. So I thought, yeah, and you, you, you pay less here. It's about 30,000 bucks. I don't know if you want to know, but it, you know, in the U S a master's degree, it's painful. It costs about $60,000 or something ridiculous. Yeah. So I thought I'll come here, pay half price and go to Libertarian university and they won't be, you know, they, the whole problem of SJWs, whatever. But uh, this just added another layer to my awareness of Latin America, actually, because this program is a disaster. And the really? university, unfortunately, I don't really have much good to say about it. Really? Uh, I, feel, yeah. I feel very sad for the founder. The founder is dead now, but he was a great man. Uh, he founded it back, I think, 1971. He, he was uh, yeah, from Guatemala. He went to the U.S. to study. When he came back, he said, we need to change the culture. We need to promote, you know, on French price. And he said, said, we can't just start a think tank. We really need to be uh, a much deeper impact. So the university was the, was the ticket, but gradually over time, the, I guess the dishonesty, I hate to say it, but in this, in this kind of, it's more of the jungle in a place like Guatemala. And so people, are much more reluctant to trust each other. There's just not as much trust in society. You know, yeah. you, you know, you got to hire lawyers for everything. Which and I guess so, why, you know, it's like it's so much of Latin America, maybe because of that, society defaults to looking to government to solve all the woes and uh, be the inter- intermediary. But I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, it's definitely one reason why it's poor. And mm. poorer people, I think, uh, do look for handouts more. Mm. The, 
you know, that's a really long topic or difficult one. People theorize all the time about why it's so socialist down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guatemala is a rare exception in that it's almost so chaotic and disorganized and corrupt that no one, few people want actual socialism. And also because the indigenous people are extremely, I don't know if tribal is the right word, but traditional, they really stick to them, stick to each other, stick together and maintain their traditions. And it's almost an impenetrable society at, at, in the more rural areas. So therefore it's not so easy for government to kind of come in and refashion things. They will just resist. Mm-hmm. And they don't really obey things like, you know, filing tax returns. I mean, forget that. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sounds like a wonderful place. I, I love these Guatemalans already. <laughs> well, so for, for people like me, actually, it has many advantages, right? So just yeah. living here. You know, and so, so but the, the point is just that there is not the kind of trust in society here. And people just have a totally different view of, um, how can I put it? Honesty, perhaps. I'm not sure how to put it gently, but the basically in the program, the cheating was just through the roof. Really? Just say, like, like I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Spies Like Us. No, sorry, man. I, you know, I've got to see the movie Maverick because apparently that's a must see. <laughs> yeah, that's a must see. Well, spies <laughs> like us is Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd as these incompetent, yeah. bumbling spies. But there's one scene where Chevy Chase is taking a test and just like pulling shit out of his mouth and out of a fake cast. Oh, I think I do remember this clip from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, it's just like ridiculous. So I, that's what I, I always think of when I hear well, about top cheating. These guys don't even hide it. No, the thing is that. I mean, I don't. I get the sense that plagiarism and cheating are, are big problems just in universities in general. But people mm-hmm. hate to take it to a new level. So, what happened was that uh, they would give us. I think the professors all know this is the case. One of them told me that if you try and fight this, the, the universities don't want to hire you because it just creates complications for them. They just right, prefer yeah. out of sight, out of mind. And so, one of the techniques the universities use to avoid this is to give take-home exams, uh, both online and in print, mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> So, so then the honor they, system that they just they, think they, not going to look up all the answers, right? Honor, honor system, which means every exam becomes a group project. And so I just thought this was crazy. And when we, yeah. because I was, I thought, I mean, at one time I thought I wanted to do a PhD. Now I've just kind of uh, dismissed that, that possibility perhaps. But when, when I remember when we, because we took a trip up to Tulane uh, to do a, like, a, a semester in three and a half days, which is another insane aspect of the program. <laughs> it would squeeze a whole semester in three and a half days. And so he gave us a take home exam. And he said, well, don't work on it with anyone else. I was going, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I presume this is all in Spanish too. So you, are no, you, the, no, well, the Spanish down here was in Spanish up in Tulane in English. Well, not in Tulane. Yeah. But so you must yeah. speak, speak uh, fluent Spanish though. I do speak Spanish. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say, I mean, I've been, on uh, radio and t- TV and Spanish, but I still don't feel that as confident as in English, of course. But the, yeah, but he gave it, and then people were bringing those exams to class. Like we were, we were, we were down here in other classes, they're bringing them, they're just changing around and they're working on the classes going, can we take this seriously, please? You know, am I the only person who cares about this? Everybody and, gets the exact same score, the exact same rights and wrong answers, basically. Well, I don't know. It, it's not a perfect. It's not perfect cheating because they've got a, their own groups. But no. basically, that was just a, the start. I could go. There are a lot, many more examples, no. and I just thought this. You know, no one's going to take this degree seriously, and I wouldn't even take it seriously myself. And unfortunately, when I told the deans about this, they offered to help me find another university. Oh wow! So instead of even trying to address the problem, they're just like, "Well, it doesn't sound like you're a fit here." Yeah, basically. That's fucking yeah. nuts, man. Yeah, it's crazy. And it just broke my heart a bit, mate. So the thing is that you just live and learn in life. And and I, yeah, I, I mean, my, my cynicism towards university just continues really. Yeah, that, because the thing is, like, you know, yeah, I was saying before we got started that we, you and I, we really love to learn. I mean, I'm a super mm-hmm. nerd, man. I, I, I'm reading books and reviewing them all the time. I write my columns every week. I just, I mean, I love what I do. It's, it's the best. And yet in my, in my classes, the other students just weren't, they weren't about it. They just jumping through the hoops. Yeah. And so it just kills the, the mood. And I just, anyway, so they basically, they pulled out of that program, obviously, and I'm, I'm working on going somewhere so, else. So how did you get that into, you know, what, what got you motivated to do so much of the writing? Cause you are, I mean, you put out a, a pretty epic amount of content and, I um, track, Mike. Yeah. I mean, I lose track it, this, this month we put out 
we, we, we put, put a review of all the content we wrote in, in August and it's getting too much. We're going to have to go to either a fortnightly or weekly update because it's just mm. too much for one email. But I'm not sure what, I mean, how do I, why do I get into writing? You know, mate, it, it's weird because I'm not sure. I think I told you that I hated high school or just right, school yeah. in general. And that's why I became an athlete because there's one way for me to just enjoy life and not, you know, sick at school. So I, I went and started training. But basically, I, I was never that great of a writer. And by the way, can I just say thank you for being an athlete that is a libertarian? We need more people like us, <laughs> strapping, incredibly attractive, athletic men touting the ideals of liberty. You know, we got to ditch this whole nerds in a basement uh, <laughs> stereotype. You know, you know what, mate? It's. I mean, thank you. They're very kind. But you know, <laughs> I actually believe that a- athletes would be or are more libertarian yep. in orientation right. because well, it's merit-based, it's, it's, right? Exactly, a meritocracy, and that's one reason why very few athletes go into academia. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's one of my prof- one of my coaches back in. Uh, I went to Boston University. He goes. Mm. You know, so few athletes go, become academics. I'm like, yeah, because we don't play politics, man. It, you know, we actually just train yeah. and and do the job. But where am I going? What was this? oh, so what do I go writing? You know, but I actually did not do well at writing at school, and I had to get tutoring and learn in university. Mm. And then I, it just happened that when I was back in New Zealand, there was this this really terrible, like uh, like a social security system introduced in 2007. Mm. And uh, I thought this was insane. And I got really pissed off because the, the lies that were basically being used to promote it. So I hated this crap and it was, it was quote voluntary, but you got automatically put into it every time you started a job and you had to write a letter to get out of it. And I was going, how can this make sense? And plus, (laughs) anyway, you paid higher taxes if you didn't go into, I was just getting really pissed off. So I wrote this article called the deceit of Kiwi Saver, which is, I guess my first, my first article for a popular audience ever and basically the local magazine, the student magazine said, well, you got to keep writing. And so I did. And, th- and once you start writing for a public audience, going back and running assignments that a professor may or may not look at gets, is more difficult. Yeah. Right? It's just less exciting. Well, just, and I'll, you know, be able to write your own content, decide what you want to write about. Because I know, you know for me and, uh, I was never, a, a, an incredibly stellar student. And for much mm. the same reason is just, you know, there's my interest level has to be there. For the effort, you know, if it's not the effort, then okay, I'm intelligent. I could put, I could pass. You know, I think I graduated like a three two or something. But mm. if you're not motivated, then you know you're you're not engaged, and the content's going to suffer from that. And that's why you know, like you know, from from your perspective, you know, it's it's great the content you're putting out there because clearly you're actively uh, oh, passionate yeah. about it. And you can tell in the I, writing. I mean, like I you know, some of the articles I was reading, you, you sent me the one, and I, I'd read another one you wrote uh, fairly mm. fairly recently, I think a, a few months ago, but just about socialism in Latin America, which is something I wanted. Oh, to how talk socialism about. destroyed Latin America? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because I so I mean, I'd love to talk about that because you're sitting there in Guatemala, which you know hasn't gone all that way yet. But you know, I was reading your mm. article about uh, the uh, Guatemalan Commission that's you know playing playing oh, the, with the UN and the United yeah. States to try to push through a certain. Uh, you know, position mm. as far as the leadership of the country. So, you know, that, and then, and then again, seeing how socialism spread throughout Latin America and caused much of the immigration problems. And then also this, uh, like the article I sent you, which I want to get into later, but, you know, mm. the fleeing of Venezuelans into Brazil, which now has put troops on the border. So, you know, pick any spot in there to, to, oh, to okay, start mate, talking. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, I think, let's just put it this way. Latin America is just extremely poor. Mm-hmm. and in many uh, dimensions and and you know so this is this is like i said we know people know latin america is poor but they just have this kind of general sense i know very carefully you know clearly how poor it is because i hire people here so i know the salaries they make mm-hmm. and it is just brutal right yeah. so for example right anytime now i could offer someone 400 bucks a month and get someone from Venezuela or Honduras or uh, El Salvador. Lots of countries would come and work for that, no problem. They'd uproot and actually move actively, relocate yeah. just for that salary, yeah. I remember someone I was hiring who could speak English, was a decent writer, you know, a smart person. I don't want to say who this person is, but uh, the, the salary was 600 bucks a month, and then we gave her 50 bucks a month to 650 extra, extra, yeah. And... This person was just super happy about that. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. Yeah. So of course you got to realize it's it's very poor here. And years ago, I was in El Salvador at some event speaking, and 
I was, I had, they had this view of the city of San Salvador, the capital. And I was just thinking, what the, you know, what happened here? You know, why is it so poor? I mean, so basically, you, you know, if you go to, if you, if those people, these people, anybody just go to the United States, you're getting basically a fivefold increase in earnings, which is no trivial amount. I mean, it's not just 20%, it's 400%, right. you know, increase. So, and so that begs the question, what went wrong to make it this way? And there are lots of reasons, but, you know, it is clear that in this part of the world, there's a very strong socialist or collectivist mentality. Mm-hmm. And it's not uniform, of course. I mean, there are many smart, you know, classical liberals or capitalist people here. And it's not distributed evenly. Places like Panama and Costa Rica and Chile are a bit more open, right? So, you know, it, but places like Cuba, of course, that's just, you know, totalitarian. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's a, there's a range, but in general, let's say relative to, you know, Canada and the United States, there's just no competition. It's yes. just so much more top heavy. And it's not just the top heaviness. It's just, the, I guess, there's a, there's a lot of uh, corruption, crime. I mean, well, yeah. speaking of that, that's what that's always surprises me about this embracing of socialism in, in Latin America is that you have the utmost corruption in mm-hmm. the highest levels of government. I mean, all through government, every every tier of it is yeah. unbelievably corrupt. And then these people say, well, you know, but we still adopt this socialist mentality. We still think the government should be redistributing. We still feel like this is the best way to handle it. And you think those two things would cancel each other out. You'd look at the corruption. You go, well, why, why are we fucking giving these people more power? And, and I don't more know. say yeah. over what we yeah. should do with these these resources. It, it's yeah. completely bad. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. Mate, it's it. You, you, you're killing me here. You know, you converted, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but uh, you know, so the when I first, I still remember when I first went to Colombia, and everyone was going, "Don't go to Colombia." You know, you'll get you know the narcos will, will right. steal you, will kidnap you, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Well, I don't want drugs. Ship you back, yeah." Yeah, I don't want. I don't want those fears to get in the way of my adventure. So I'm going to go, and I didn't even speak Spanish back then, so that was really crazy. But the and I don't know if I would do it again. I think I was just naive, but. The I was surprised to see how much people really did emphasize elections, mm-hmm. that they would be maybe more prominent than, I mean, the U.S. is heavily politicized as well, but every little town would have all these big signs of someone's running for mayor or candidate for this Congress district or whatever I was thinking. Don't we all know these people are corrupt? I mean, yeah. you know, why do you put so much confidence in this? And, but you have to, again, it's hard to convey the, 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 how different the culture is. So one, one good example, which I use, I, I can't remember which article now, but anyway, one article, <laughs> one, one article I, I mentioned that child marriage is a good indicator of maybe lack of economic development, right? Because mm-hmm. women with fewer economic prospects are much more inclined to get married at like 14 years old. Right. You're locking and, down, you're locking down a, uh, in theory anyway, somebody that's going to take care of it, work, pay the bills, et cetera. So it's kind of like establishing your stability. So the sooner you can do that, the better off you'll be in theory kind of thing, right? Yeah, well, it's it's just, it doesn't really, I mean, just the the fact is that particularly in Central America, but throughout all Latin America, like I said, except maybe the little bit more developed countries like Costa Rica, Uruguay, Chile, Mm -hmm. whatever. Teenage marriage is just a big part of the culture. It's just totally normal here. And so you have to realize that people aren't necessarily paying as much attention to what's going on in politics. 
They may, they'll get they'll get rolled up by some populist candidate. But in terms of the actual day to day media coverage of what is going on, they don't have it. Right. Yeah. So the U.S. has this, and Canada too has this very elaborate network of activist groups and think tanks and investigative reporters and alternative reporters. And I, I love these guys. They just don't have it down there. And, yeah. and, and at the same time, the state media, I mean, the U S you have, I, I can't, this thing just drives me insane that the U S even has state media like NPR. And then you have what's called the board of uh, broadcasting board of governors or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. They get a billion dollars a year to do, you know, media, I'm going, oh, so there's a oh, yeah. shortage of media while they're all, you know, going oh, out. Yeah. Of, you know, I, I, I've worked actually for that, the, the uh, nonprofit with Yahad and Uno, I've worked with some of those organizations because, you know, they're like, well, I was like, well, they're still putting out media and my client still needs the exposure. But yeah, they're basically, it's just propaganda arms. And this one specifically did stories that were targeted at Russians, but again, mm. made by, it was a, a Russian woman, but she was now a US citizen making content that that would help push the propaganda. So it was about the, um, you know, Russians killing uh, Roma during Roma World War II. Yeah. So that was what typically what the, the focus was on. And yeah, mm. to kind of <laughs> remind well, them one, that they were terrible people. So the, 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 thing, the, the, the crazy thing about these outlets is that their inefficiency is almost impressive. You know? <laughs> their capacity. That's the, great, that's the good thing. Yeah. Keep the yeah, propaganda yeah. to a minimum because of the incompetence. Well, because I, I, was, I had been working for years writing about Latin America or being an editor, and I went to this course in uh, Miami to study Cuba, Cuban history, mm. and there was a lady in my class who worked for something called Noticias Martí or Radio, Radio Martí, and I was going, what is this? And she said, well, it's, it's the, I guess it's the government channel that covers Cuba, and I said, well, I've never even heard of you guys. Mm. And these guys have a budget. I think it's $33 million. And I was just saying a lot for a radio station. Yeah. $33 million. I was going, who the heck (laughs) knows you of your existence? I'm a full-time professional covering this issue. I didn't even heard of you. I mean, what? Anyway, so it's known as the most unwatched, they have a TV channel to unwatched TV channel (laughs) on the planet. And they just, I just cannot believe it because at the time I had a publication, which was super, startup, you know, just with like a hundred thousand dollars or something at a startup budget. And we were competing with them for on the Alexa ranking. And just destroying them. <laughs> I just, so we're 300, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what the calculation is, but we were a lot more efficient, you know, so maybe 300 <laughs> times more efficient, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I just, it just broke my heart. And she, and when, cause at that time there was some kind of government shutdown as we have in the US, you know, every, I don't know, every six months, it seems like something's shutting down. And so she was one of the workers who would have to wait for her pay to come in. And I thought, man, I don't think anyone's going to be missing you. you know? <laughs> so, so. <laughs> yeah, no one's lying to you. It's not like when they're trying to defund portions of NPR and people are out in the streets uh, picketing like they are here. Mm. Protect our yeah, government so. media. But I, mean, I know also, you know, like what is it, Bolivia and uh, obviously Venezuela and the crackdown on, on uh, any That's independent safe. journalism is just terrifying. And I don't yeah. know, I mean... Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. Again, this is the problem that it's so blatant and outrageous, the censorship, that it's hard to convey to Americans because mm-hmm. I know we have Twitter shadow banning and people getting banned from YouTube or whatever, which I don't support, of course. But the level in these other countries is out of control. And one of the more bizarre examples was a newspaper, La Hora, in Ecuador, that did not cover an event and they got fined for not covering an event. And it was like, it's a bear and even like them not, not coming. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that, that it happened, but it did happen. That's a true story. Wow. Damn. And so the, uh, also there are scarier aspects to where reporters, I mean, will be murdered. I mean, there are lots of reporters. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw those, what there's, Oh, there's a Cuban. Uh, I, I saw a reference to a story. Uh, a friend of yours, her father was murdered in, in Cuba. Correct? Yeah. 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 So this is another man. We're really getting the sensitive spots here, but no. So uh, Rosa Maria Paya, hmm. she is an exile from Cuba and her father was this peaceful activist. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but it's all, all I've read about him is good, that he was basically collecting petitions to have democracy in Cuba because all these trendy people who love Cuba don't seem to mention that it has one political party. Right. 
You know, what's going on? Exactly. And then you know, they, and they point to the socialized healthcare. Meanwhile, it's like, well, you know, they, they still. Um, you know, well, you know, you know, one party, the Communist Party of Cuba, doesn't exactly promote diversity of ideas. <laughs> and the, uh, and when the ladies, there's there's a there are all sorts of political prisoners in Cuba, of course. And yeah. These people, every week, I think after church, a bunch of ladies, they call them the ladies in white or damas de blanco. They go and walk out and get put in prison for, I guess, a few days. And then, and then they do it again the next week. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get confused as to why they do this. But, I mean, I guess they're just trying to demonstrate that here in Cuba, you can't even walk down the street. That's right. about it. You know. But regardless, so Rosa Maria Payat, uh, an old friend of mine, yeah, I think it was about 2010. So it's pretty recent that this, uh, you know, peaceful activist was run off the road by Cuban agents and he and his fellow uh, traveler died. And there's, there are conspiracy theories about whether he actually died in the accident or not, and that many people believe that he did not, wasn't, the accident wasn't totally fatal, but then they just killed him afterwards. Yeah. Regardless, he's gone now, and his, his wife and daughter moved to, a, you know, it's called Coral Gables, but a part of Miami. And I think she's a teacher of physics or something, and she is, uh, she's trying to confront the regime with, I guess, more peaceful activism, but... I've become much more cynical now and you don't hate me for being less libertarian, but I think you've got to, you've got to confront these gangsters mm-hmm. and because these guys are not going to go away peacefully. I just think that they've been there for 60 years. I mean, they, they were basically a guerrilla group, a militia group who just, you know, toppled the government. I'm not saying the government before was ideal or anything like that. And they're just hanging around for 60 years and then their sons and they're like their buddies are going to keep holding on to the regime. So it's like a monarchy. And I would say someone has got, I mean, whether it be the Cubans or someone's got to come in and confront them mm. uh, because they're not, you know, this is the, it's a sad fact that these guys are really, they're gangsters and that's how they think. And they won't, that's why whenever I hear news out of Cuba, I just, I just think that they're doing whatever it will take to stay in power. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's more, the, more the same. So what about, yeah. So, but in terms of the free speech elements, one, one good example, I guess, comes from Venezuela as well. When I was there, when the president will speak, and these, these presidents here have these... By the way, when, when were you there? What, uh, what year was this? I went 2014, and then I went back, I think, New Year's Eve 2015. So it's like, like I went twice in 2014. So, but so fairly recent, though. Yeah, within the... Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've thought about going back, but it's getting so crazy now that... I don't even know if like most of my friends have left now, so I've got hardly anyone yeah. to stay with. <laughs> well, I know my, my old neighbor. I mean, he uh, he was from Venezuela, and I was talking to him. His father basically was they're able to stay in Venezuela, but you know, because they're everybody's money got wiped out, obviously. Mm. But his father has a uh, a talent to research in genealogy. So what he's been doing and making money, like you know, two hundred dollars American, but in Venezuela at this point, you know, plenty of money, but he, he researches genealogy so that people can go to Spain because Spain said, if you have Spanish uh, background, we'll allow you to migrate to Spain. So people are in droves trying to say, oh shit, I got to prove that I'm Spanish uh, bloodline. Yeah. I mean, some countries, I don't know about Spain, but I think Italy as well, it doesn't matter how many generations back, so long as you're from there at some point, you can yeah. get it. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've got multiple passports, so I don't really worry about that anymore. But the, but yeah, so what, what happens, these, these presidents in these countries are so insane. I mean, it's just, again, it's hard for us to, get, to convey, but they will have three-hour speeches. They're mm. like preachers. Yeah, they just yeah. there and just keep talking and won't shut up. And so... Wait, well, man, I was talking to Mance Rader earlier today because I just did his podcast, and that's what we were talking about, how similar. I mean, church and state are, are separate, but uh, in theory, but they mm. operate on the exact same principles. So like you're saying, these they, it is a pulpit, and he is preaching. He's, he is literally converting people and making sure that that, that religion of statehood is, is ingrained in yeah. people's minds. And if you don't, you know... If- you don't abide while you're going to hell, except right. hell is you just don't, you don't get your ration for the month or yeah, something. Yeah, it's a gulag, yeah. Yeah, but, the, but, so, but and, and when I was there and Nicolas Maduro, uh, Chavez had, had already died, but he, when he puts on a speech, he blocks out every single radio and TV channel in the country. Yeah. The only way you can get around this is by getting foreign cable, cable channels. Mm-hmm. So I was on the radio and just like, I was in the car just trying to change the <laughs> dial and every station was playing this guy's voice. Yeah. So the level of their intervention, it just like, it, it's, it's hard for me to comprehend sometimes. And 
I just think the problem is that people here are so accustomed to that now. They don't, they hardly know the difference. And that's why I wrote the article recently about why they actually have real socialism, because many of the people from Venezuela in particular, they don't get it. They don't get it. And they come to the United States and they'll vote for a guy like Bernie Sanders. And right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I mean, same thing with my neighbor. It was a fucking Bernie. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Your family has yeah. lost everything in Venezuela. People are, are starving and you can't get toilet paper to wipe your ass. And yet you're fucking voting for a socialist. It drives because, me insane. Because right? you think it's just yeah. not done correctly. It's, it's ridiculous. Bro, yeah. Well, let me ask you something else, too, though. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about freedom of speech. You're, you know, Antigua Report and uh, Epoch Times, I know is international because we have Epoch Times here in LA too. Yeah, yeah. But it, do you find like, where's your readership? Is it a lot of South Americans that are finding your content and reading it if they can speak English? I mean, are you getting read in those areas where you'd say, you know, even though we want this side of the world, the English speaking world to know about these, uh, you know, the atrocities going on, are people in Latin America, South Central America, are they looking to... Uh, to read about what's happening in the backyard and starting to wake up. That's a great, that's a great question. I must admit, I don't know always. So yeah. when I, yeah, so my, with my podcast with Golden Newsletter, I mean, I haven't looked lately. They do actually give countries, but it's mainly Americans and Canadians that will listen to that. Mm. The, with Epoch Times, it's it. I'm still new with them. I've been writing with them for maybe, I don't know, three or four months. Uh, but they're an odd newspaper because they are started by basically people who oppose the Chinese communists. So, yeah, because that's what, when I first encountered them, it was they were all Chinese um, mm. covering, and now now they've branched out a lot more. I've seen. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I don't know how much I can say here because these people actually are my clients, you know. <laughs> but but uh, basically, as far as I can tell, their target audience is the uh, yeah anti-communist types around the world, and but also influential people they really want to be seen as a credible outlet that is well prepared and as far as i know it's the favorite newspaper of the white house right now really yes yeah <laughs> are you kidding really the i'm not kidding you at all i'm not kidding you at all yes <laughs> that trump apparently gets a hundred copies of the epoch times sent to the white house you know whenever it comes out i, I mean i think in wow I, I, yeah i just lost it for a second but yeah th- i think that um in D.C., maybe it comes out even five times a week. I'm not sure. It depends on the place. But all of them go straight to the White House, or the, uh, and he consumes them. So wow, it's very pro-America. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's the counterweight to China. So it's like very pro-America. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I'm, I'm all about. I mean, I, I love the United States. Well, that's, I mean, I, I actually, I didn't realize that that was kind of like the focus of it. I always do a, a little bit about, like I said, just from doing PR and, and my encounters mm. with them getting stories placed. But yeah, I didn't realize uh, the the purpose of it, I guess. But that makes sense because there is a lot more coverage of free markets. and, and Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually impressed as to how successful they've been because I just checked today by my article that I wrote about Argentina about a month or two back. And so many other outlets republish from the Epoch yeah. Times. It's, yeah. it's intense. So they really have done a good job at getting uh, influence or being successful. I don't know how profitable they are. That's a whole another sort of story. But yeah. but yeah, I do respect them. In terms of Antigua Report, it's still very new. But there's actually, but there, are, there, are, there is an audience for it in Latin America. Now, mm-hmm. you should know that, yes, let's say there's a strong preponderance of socialists or collectivists in Latin America. There's a but to that. Obviously, there's a natural reaction to that, that in places like, yeah, Chile, Argentina, here in Guatemala, they've literally fought wars against the socialists of communists. So that means they still remember. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking anti- Antifa idiots who, you know, are just like, Right. You're talking real, we're, real armies. Yeah. We're not talking a bunch of weaklings who go and get like, I don't know, like they're all like tennis bat and try and hit you or something. Right. But we're talking actual trained guerrillas, militias in this part of the world who will fight a war against you. Mm-hmm. So the pe- people here who are more conservative or capitalist oriented realize the viciousness of the enemy. And there's a very solid minority of people who are staunchly anti-communist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm not sure how, what, you know, I don't know how to get percentages, but there is, there is a strong readership there 
And that has been an area where in my work, I've sought to reach those people. Yeah. Well, you think, I mean, seeing what's happening in Venezuela right now, and and I referenced this story about Brazil closing off their borders and and sending Mm. the military to the borders to stop Venezuelans from coming to the country. Is that, I mean, is that stark reality of socialism at work? Uh, I mean, is that, is that having an echo effect throughout your, you know, are people in Guatemala talking about it? Are you still, what do you, what's your feeling in the, in the region? Is it helping people to wake up where they're saying, holy shit, you know, there, but for the grace of God, uh, go away. I would like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you sleep at night. You just repeat like, no, 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 they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Yeah. yeah. I wish, I wish I, one country does stand out as getting it right. Colombia, right? Because they are neighbors. I mean, they share the border with Venezuela and they can just see them pouring in, but not only that Colombia has fought this, I think 50 year war with the FARC or this, the armed forces of Colombia, the, the revolutionary armed forces, they call themselves. And so they've got, they've got both a, an insane, you know, dystopian, nightmare next door in Venezuela where people are literally just like walking out of the country and, you know, by the hundreds of thousands. And they have this long-term Marxist insurgent military group or terrorist group, which I guess in recent times they've put down some of their weapons, but now they're trying to play into politics, which is insane. Mm. But I can't, I just still cannot comprehend that these guys think they can run for politics, but, but there are still many, other militia groups around in Colombia who keep like keep the awareness. So Colombia is one place where the people I think really are learning from this. And the, the, the truth is that Venezuelans are everywhere around Latin America. They're even going to Honduras, mm-hmm. which if you're going to Honduras, you're, <laughs> you're pretty damn desperate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, it reminds me of when um, I think a couple of years ago, Nicolas Maduro, the president of, uh, well, yeah, dictator president of, of Venezuela, he offered to take a whole bunch of Syrian refugees. Mm. And the refugees were going, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> we're all right. I, I had to eat my foot yesterday, but I still think I'm doing uh, better than you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so but in terms of learning, yeah, so we see Venezuelans everywhere. I don't, the problem is, and this is where, again, you have to almost not take your hat off, but be aware of the effectiveness of this leftist or progressive media because they really do a good job at attacking the United States of blaming the sanctions of just saying everything is an economic war on them. Right. And a lot of people who are socialist in, in, in inclination, they really eat that up. Yeah. So for those people, it's like, it's like a lost cause. It's like there's just nothing. Yeah, nothing. it's just it, that boggles my mind too because they're blaming you know the US, U.S. sanctions. But meanwhile, you know, Venezuela had this massive oil industry that they destroyed through nationalization. So it's just like, yeah. look, you guys will be fine. You don't need anything from the United States. You could have been the prime oil supplier for that entire region, but instead, you decided to to, to uh, public get into a utility and take over it, and now it's nobody can upkeep it. It's a disaster. Yeah, it, 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 the truth is too that the the you know I'm I'm, I'm Maybe I'm not, I'm not sure what my position is on these sanctions, but, the, but the, the fact is that the U.S. has been very careful to make sure the sanctions are extremely targeted mm-hmm. so that we'll say, well, we know this guy's a drug dealer and he's the vice president of the country, so we'll put a sanction on him and say, you can't come here. Right. I mean, it doesn't really have an effect on the country as a whole. Right. And the, the one that might have had a little bit of an effect is that I think Americans are not allowed to buy this Petro, the new currency, but no, yeah, it's yeah. going to be a disaster anyway. You know, so it, yeah. I don't really think. It, I don't think many Americans are lining up to buy Venezuelan currency, seeing the inflation rates. <laughs> well, it's it's like when um, when the U.S. put on a visa requirement for Venezuelans to travel to the U.S. I think they made them come in for an interview or something like that. And then Venezuela put they like they they put a reciprocal. We're going to put a requirement that Americans want to come here, and there was all these all these image memes. All the queues are so, so long to, to go to Venezuela. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But I mean, I'd say in general, though, I could see like, you know, I'm, I'm typically like you said, you weren't sure uh, your position on sanctions in general, but yeah. uh, I'm typically always against them. Like you're saying, if they're putting on one guy, I don't really give a shit about that. But, you know, because mm. it just it hurts the people more than anything. But, you know, in Venezuela's case, I, there's no sanction that the United States can put on them that can make their lot worse than what their own government's already done to them. Well, I see. Yeah. It, I, in the case, there's, there's a very bizarre recent instance of sanctions that fills that that description. Mm-hmm. And that's when 
Oh, I think I lost you. Okay, we got Fergus back. So we're talking about sanctions, and you said there was one good one example of sanctions uh, that you could think of that was in regards to harming yeah. the people. Is that what you're talking about, like harming the populace? Yeah, basically, uh, yeah. So, so Trump has got a personality, like, how can I put this? He's in an ego battle with the, the president right. of Turkey, who... <laughs> and, and, and everybody else in the world, for that matter. Sure, sure, yeah. And so the, the fact is that this, this, this president or prime minister, I'm sorry, I should know the, the precise term for this guy, he is insane. This guy is psycho. We all know this. That this guy Erdogan, he oh yeah, he's completely mad. Yeah, came to the U.S. for a speaking engagement. There were some gentle protests outside the event. I mean, about fifty people. Not exactly a big deal. His he had about as many security guards as there were protesters to come out and kick their asses. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I, I couldn't believe it. it. They're fighting with the U.S. police, like the U.S. police are trying to <laughs> the protesters, and his security guards. We go in there, just like kicking them, pulling this side. I'm like, what is going on here? So, <laughs> this guy. Let's agree, but the the, pre, the the guy of Turkey is crazy, totally oh, yeah. crazy. But he has some kind of political prisoner who's an American who's lived in Turkey for I think a decade or, or a long time, and Trump does not like this, and Trump is just pissed off about it. And he is basically not going to war with Turkey, but ramping up all sorts of sanctions. Mm. Not ju- not just over that one guy, but he's largely the like a, like a wedge issue there. Yeah, well, wedge. I mean, it's, well, I mean, Turkey's been such a foothold for America in the in the region too. That's like they'll usually you'd see people bend over backwards, like the Obama administration, to try to keep relations with Turkey good, especially mm. because they were uh, can't think of the words. I'm hungover. Uh, secular. And now, oh, they were, again, they though, they, yeah, they were secular. Now they're becoming, you know, it's an Islamic nation, which is terrifying on any number of levels, not just for foreign relations, but for the people there as well. I mean, right. his crackdown on the media and, and I mean, just what's happened in Turkey. He, he all, I mean, I've not followed the Turkey situation as, as closely as others, but I have seen him ranked very poorly in press freedom rankings. So, okay. yeah, so I, I agree that one, there is a little bit of, I'm not sure whether it's ambiguity or one maybe bit of nuance to the use of sanctions in the case of Canada. Now, the truth is that the Canadians are just extremely dependent on the United States Mm -hmm. as a consumer or or export market. Right. And oddly enough, I'm not sure whether you followed this, Trump may actually liberate Canada to some degree. This is weird, but... okay. Because but basically, by, by, by saying uh, you have to depend on different areas of the world for your uh, exports now. No, no. Yeah. Basically, actually, I'm not going to write out about this tomorrow. But Canada, does, Canadians have a weird sense of openness that they believe the country's so open, and it's just not true. Mm-hmm. And many, I mean, because in the case of New Zealand, my country, we had a kind of a financial crisis back in the '80s, and then we had this big deregulation, deregulation and privatization scheme, which kind of cleaned cleaned house a bit. Canada never really had that. It had a few like little bits of that. Anyway, so it's well known now that the Canadian, I think it's chicken, uh, eggs, and dairy, and maybe a few others had enormous tariffs. Mm. I mean, we're talking three hundred percent tariffs, right? Mm. So basically, no one, no one outside of Canada can compete with that. Right. And then they have what a, they call it supply management. It just means that each province has a cartel. Where it's like it's like trying to get a taxi medallion in New York, where if you want to have a cow to, to milk it, you've got to buy someone else's you know right to have a cow, and these rights to have a cow are something like thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars wow. per cow. God it's damn, ins- it's like insane. That, that's how, yeah, that's how lucrative these 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 cartels are. Oh yeah, and Trump, Trump, to his credit, has identified this and said, you know what. Canada, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. This is again like we wanted to sell our milk and dairy what or our eggs to you guys. Stop this. Mm-hmm. And thus far, the Canadian, I don't even know what to call that guy, but the Canadian Prime Minister, you know, <laughs> that yeah. guy. Sure is, knows, yeah. I don't know how I don't know how the heck this guy gets elected. And the, this, the craziest thing about that guy is that he might he's there's a good chance he'll get reelected. Yeah. That, that's that tells you how you know, well, it's, you know it's like that. Con- it's like just like here, though. It's like the the constant back and forth. You know, they have the same kind of duopoly system going on, where it's like the two parties. And uh, they had a conservative uh, president before Trudeau, so it's just the flopping back, uh, you know, back and forth, back and forth, just like what happens here. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the last prime minister, yeah, uh, Stephen Harper, 
he was much more pro-American than say Barack Obama. Let's put it that right. way. <laughs> so, yeah. and he, he like, He's, he wasn't, a, you know, he had his own problems. Apparently he's, you know, in his private life, he's actually quite Ayn Randian, but he just would never really show that publicly. And he's a, he's a political animal, but he had a hard time because in Canada, you don't really have the big, like the US, you have all these, the, the interior red states, you know, the Kansas, Oklahoma, all these states that are just solid kind of traditional mm-hmm. conservative states, or whatever. Canada, you've got, three prairie provinces, which are sparsely populated. And then you've got Quebec and all the, and BC, you've got all the, all the, all the rest, which just dominate the country. So you've got a very limited pool to draw in terms of support. So he had to try and that guy Harper created this interesting mix to, to keep in power. And he lost that of course. And now the new guy is a, is a pathetic. I mean, it, yeah. So the new guy's pathetic, but his opponent is maybe just as bad because when, uh, when Trudeau said he wasn't going to let up on these cartels or he said, well, he said he wasn't going to let up, but then there was like privately some inkling that maybe he would a little bit, mm. the conservative party, like the Rhino party of Canada, their, their uh, candidate or leader came out with this big statement that we will not compromise on this. And how can the liberals give a good way to the cartels, you know, let the cartels go, which just, blew my mind. I was going, Oh, so, you know, what's the point of all this? And right. just recently, yeah. So basically, but the, but the point is though, that such has been the pressure from old Trump on this issue that he's made it very prominent in Canada and almost every Canadian knows it's not in their interests, Yeah. but they also know that there's a whole bunch of lobbyists in there who are just fighting to protect this. And there was a, a, a tweet uh, recently about at the, at the conservative party, you know, meeting, there were 25 lobbyists just for the dairy industry, wow. which is ridiculous, of course. And yep. so the, the, um, there's a guy, there's a Quebecois, a Frenchy or French Canadian who has, has made a breakaway and he's starting a new party to yeah. challenge them. He's kind of the classical liberal or free market guy. And I like him a lot. So any idea yeah. what his name is off the top of your head? I'd be curious to look yeah, him up. Ma- Ma- Maxime Bernier. Yeah, you should look him up. And he, he's wrote Maxime Bernier and he wrote an article, why I'm leaving or why I left the, the conservative party of Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautifully written. Very, very clear. He just said, look, I've been in here for a decade or something like that. And now I'm not even allowed to talk about these cartels. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just being pushed, pushed aside. And he, and he said, what's the, what's the point? Even if we win the election, nothing's going to change. Right. So this pressure from Trump is particularly actually making this a big issue in Canada and a, a, politi- a political um, difficulty. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it could be that the pressure from Trump actually does cause these cartels to go, which would be a beautiful thing for Canada. Yeah. I would love that. Well, and well, I think yeah. we can, yeah, can in a, in a reflective sense, you know, I was hoping that Trump uh, would wake people up in the United States as well, because whether or not, whether because whether or not you agree with them on an issue or not, yeah, at least it's like raising awareness too. Like, I mean, look at yeah. we're talking about the news media, uh, you know, and right. the, the quote unquote fake news, you know, and, and the, the massive media bias, the way things are covered, the way that the the media has covered up for so many uh, wars that have been started, have been complicit in pushing forward through, you know, just blatant untruths on behalf of government. So it's like, you know, it's the yeah. silver lining that Trump does bring to the table because of the, the visceral reaction people have to him. But also, you know, he's done a pretty decent job with deregulation and uh, opening people's eyes up to just how things are working. So I give him a lot of credit in, in regards to that, whether it's intentional or not on his, on his uh, part. Yeah, I, I must. Look, I've got to agree with you there. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna close some some items just to make sure I'm not um, hurting the, the connection. But the. That's uh, uh, oh, all right. Well, we get, has, we'll, we'll wrap it up in about five minutes anyway. Yeah, so yeah, we, but so I'll, we I'll, make it through and not freeze uh, again. I think yeah, we can do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, the Guatemalan government is as knows <laughs> this is happening. They're terrified <laughs> of you. They're trying to shut this down. Well, the, the scary thing actually is that recently, man, I, should, I don't know if I should put these things out here, but recently <laughs> my Reddit account, I do use Reddit a ton, of course, like many people. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to go out to vote, but there just aren't as many people on there. But people are knowing, people in, in Guatemala now know who I am. Oh, interesting. It's, it's not a good thing. Uh. Yeah, because I have this now reputation. And, be, and the thing is, people just kind of fabricate these reputations to make them much more than, I think they oh, think I'm like this, this very powerful man. I'm going, I'm just in my home writing articles, you know, <laughs> editing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
they, they're pictures not, like, they had like the, yeah, like the New York Times, like in a top hat and uh, yeah, like an old school fucking pocket watch that you're they imagine, your, running your empire. They imagine some, yeah, some fancy, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, high, whatever, I don't know, high building with me yeah. and beautiful office, but it's just not that like that at all. I'm, you know, I'm just like a regular person trying to make a living well, and do what can, I really believe in. You can uh, disperse that illusion by just telling them, be like, look, if you want to know really where I'm at in life, I was just on Electric Liberty Land. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, my, my, I can't my be that right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but in terms of the fake news, though, I mean, Trump, obviously, he gives them a lot of dumb meat to go after. I mean, like I said, well, I don't really care about his whole, you know, marital things, but it just seemed a bit stupid. He kind of gave them meat to go after by paying her off. I mean, anyway, it was just a bit foolish. But at the same time, I do agree with him that the whole fake news thing, there is something there. I mean, that's why it's caught on, because... People know that you've got a bunch of race hustlers, for example, in the media, like Jorge Ramos, and you've got, it's just, I can't, I can't stand watching places like CNN. It just drives me crazy. So I don't know how they, they, they're taken seriously. So he, yeah, so he, he is right about some of that. And when people call him as censoring or having an attack on the truth, look, Trump is creative with the truth. You know, he uses hyperbole. Oh man, I've lost you. But um, I'm still, I'm still yeah, I might have froze, but I'm still. Uh, I can still hear you. Can you hear me still? Okay. Oh, I can. I can hear you now. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So basically, Trump uses hyperbole. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's politics. I'm not really surprised by that. But in terms, like I said, if you actually know countries that actually do have censorship, you know, it's not exactly yeah, not quite not respect. quite apples and apples. They're uh, when and you're no, no, actively blanking out media sites and uh, you know have stormtroopers kicking in the doors of your... Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, that he actually... I mean, not that we, we don't have to take a position on Alex Jones, but he actually went on Alex Jones, I think even twice. He went oh, on... Really? Gave, know, back, back in the day, before he was yeah. uh, presidential candidate, presumably? No, when he was candidate. When really? Was candidate. Really? He, oh, God, he, I, gotta, wanted, I gotta look this yeah. up now. You gotta look it up, mate. Yeah, because, I mean, Alex Jones been kind of crazy about the whole Trump campaign. Yeah. So, so Trump... Went on the Alice Jones show. He also went on Reddit. He did an AMA, Ask Me Anything on Reddit, which is just, I mean, I just think that's just beautiful that yeah. he is engaged. He, he had the courage or willingness to engage on these new platforms where other candidates just wouldn't. And especially for a guy who is not known for being very tech savvy. I mean, he, he didn't send emails ever. Then to have him jump on these these newer platforms. Has he still has he still not sent an email? He just sends like you know. That's what he like. says. I don't know if he does now or not. Probably, I'm sure at this point he has to have sent some emails, right? But uh, but, right. but before that, he didn't send any. I guess that was part of the problem with their investigations. You know, they don't have any. He doesn't have any email trail. No paper trail. No email trail. Yeah, yeah right. I guess. <laughs> Man. Well, that's, well, right. that's that's that's. I'm going to wrap it up here because uh, because the connection's a little wonky. And uh, we've, covered, we've covered a lot of ground, though. We've, we've talked Guatemala, Venezuela, Cuba, Canada, the United States. We've, we've really covered a good, good amount of territories here. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's been awesome having you on. I'll have to have you on again, but we'll, uh, we'll try to do it a regular thing. Yeah, I, I, would lo- I would love to. Look, I just want to say that, yeah, I really appreciate your show, and I hope uh, Lines of Liberty, that this network or oh, yeah. shows keep rising. And I, I really am I'm enjoying the fact that your, your influence is growing as well because you're getting all these candidates on. It's kind of becoming a, kind of like a, a home for a broader group of people in the libertarian movement, which is really nice. And, yeah, uh, well, thank you, man. And, and I uh, look forward to the Antigua Report continuing to grow and thrive even as you, uh, you know, start your whatever new degree <laughs> you're going to be getting in finance or whatever, whatever de- Who knows, you nice. take. You know. <laughs> Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep rolling. Anyway, yeah, but uh, for sure, and of course, we will uh, we'll pro- we'll help and promote the shit out of it when we can as well. So remind everybody again where they can read you, where they can listen to you, and I will link to all of these in the show notes, which everybody can find at lionsofliberty.com forward slash e l l a eight. Sure, the best place to go is Twitter, just Ferg Hodgson. That's F e r g h o d g s o n. And then, if you want to follow my work, uh, go to antiguareport.com, and you can get our monthly. Uh, email release which which is a compilation of everything so it's not too often and i'd really love you know more people to be involved and to give me story ideas i'm glad to hear, have, have feedback all right there you go everybody so once again fergus awesome talking to you man finally uh finally get to sit down and chat and i thank you for being on the show and thank you for all of the uh, the fine fine work you're doing forwarding the cause of liberty 
Thank you, man. Cheers, bro. Yes. Cheers. So that'll do it with my interview with Fergus Hodgson of the Antigua Report. I really enjoy his writing quite a bit, and I encourage everybody, please do check that out. Get on the mailing list and make sure that's one of the uh, sites that you frequent, especially if you're looking for a lot of foreign policy input on the Latin America, Central America, South America region. I would say uh, Fergus is the Scott Horton of Latin America, (laughs) which, uh, of course, is fairly high praise, if we're being honest. But... While you're going to check out Fergus, make sure you check out our other podcasts here on the Lions of Liberty Network, as Fergus has uh, has cited it. And one of the few people that have actually given that moniker. I guess we are becoming somewhat of our own network here, and I'll, I'll take that on. So Mark Clare, of course, with his interviews on Mondays with leaders of the Libertarian Movement. John Odie Odermatt with Felony Fridays every Friday coming at you with the worst of the American criminal justice system. And of course, me on Wednesdays with Electric Liberty Land. And in regards to Electric Liberty Land, as regular listeners of the show know, I got pretty fucking drunk last week during the show in advance of the show. Uh, It was a real shit show of a show, which is enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. I regret nothing as per usual. However... There is one thing that I do rue and lament, (laughs) and that is, in my drunkenness, I kept saying that Larry Sharp was running for mayor of New York. Of course, woke up the next day and went, ah, shit. So, of course, Larry Sharp's running for governor of New York, and uh, I usually don't bother with corrections and retractions, but that one annoyed the shit out of me so badly that I had to say something. (laughs) Ah, alcohol. What can it do to ruin my life? Anyway, guys, that's it for me, Brian McWilliams, and Electric Liberty Land. So for me, for the Lions of Liberty, from ELL, always stay plugged into Liberty.